Now, good morning. January 22nd, 2023. And I'm a couple of strange numbers there, but happy to see you this day. Kind of been a little bit, kind of been a little scatterbrained over this meditation. I had had a lot of things on my on my mind all week. I had a lot of things that I listened to. I had a lot of things that were spoke about in class this morning. I keep thinking about what Paul said in Acts 27. I, I was I was there a couple of weeks ago, just on my own. Talking, going, going through the ship, the idea of shipwreck, and I talked about that not too long ago. And that's the same word that's referenced in in First Timothy two, or First Timothy one, the end of it, and Acts twenty seven, that ship run, run aground. It's the same same Greek word. And that's a fascinating story, and Neil's so, so right when every part of that encounter between those how many two hundred. Some, some odd souls yeah. that were saved, yeah. that all depended upon Paul's believing God. That's what it all is based upon. Now, you had to be in the boat. You had to be in the boat, and you had to be near Paul. You had to be in his word and his teaching, and what he was doing, his purpose. Everything was purpose-driven there. That God delivered them all that day because Paul told Paul was told by an angel that they were all going to stand before Caesar. And they, nothing was going to get in the way, even the even some of the harshest waters. But Paul's belief, all of his belief, throughout all of his youth as a as a persecutor of the church, he had such Great faith for the Lord. Now, faith faith is a word that we got to get we got to get right, and it's not too complicated. It's a simple it's a simple idea. Faith is the belief in things that are unseen, not based on nothing. There's plenty of evidence. We are never to believe with blind faith. Blind faith will get you down all kinds of rabbit holes that lead to nothingness. Now, such a great, great example, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It's Paul, or at least the writer of Hebrews, is, is, goes all along. So many, so many of the Hebrew fathers, from Abraham on, on down, explaining faith, the faith they had. And I'm working here out of Hebrews chapter 12. So keep that in mind. This faith is a big, big point. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for who the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and hath sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now that's a lot to that's a lot to chew on. And as David would say, chew before you swallow it. And the writer continues here under the heading of a father's discipline, and that's there's a lot of there's a lot to be thankful for in these in these in these words and in this truth. Verse four for you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. For it is discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? That's not, is that a problem we have? Are there children that aren't disciplined by their fathers today? You betcha. And we have all kinds of trouble, trouble because of it. But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline, for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, I love my niece, Caden. She's a great kid, and but she's not perfect, and she's got some things that she can correct, and this is something we were talking about just last night. And I, her parents come to me sometimes and just want me to have a word with her. And I'm very always very careful about not overstepping those bounds. I'm not her parent. I'm her uncle. But I tried to drive that point home with her. That that's, it's not pleasant, but there is real fruit that comes out of that discipline. My dad always told me he did not discipline me because he took you know, pleasure in the discipline. It was always discipline out of love, and that's how God deals with his people. Verse 12, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet, that the limb which is lame may not put out of joint but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. 
See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And it may be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Verse 18, I'm not sure where I'm going to stop, but I'll figure it out as I go. For you have not come to to a mountain that cannot be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to blast of a trumpet and the sounds, the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard it begged no further word to be spoken. For For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. There's so much to say here. There's so much to consider at this time. When we think back and we look at the, the offerings that were made, that have been made to God, the sacrificial system, we understand fully that only life can pay for death. Only blood can redeem sin. The blood of this man, Christ Jesus, who lived so long ago and is so, and so, so well remembered, is better than those than the blood of the bulls and the goats. We approach this table with thanksgiving, with a sincere heart, with a lot of faith, and all the things that we know, all the things that we learn through God, and we work continually to progress through them. Thank you.
Morning, everyone. I kind of think sometimes in myself that I need to stop listening to Bill O'Reilly on the radio, for those of you who know who he is. But he came out with a poll, or the results of a poll, uh, recently that I heard. I can't tell you exactly when he said this on the air. But he did say that over 80% of the people in the world, or at least the people that were polled, were afraid of that noise. Knocking on someone's front door inspires fear in over 80% of the people that were polled. And you think about that a minute. Then on the other hand, are we really surprised that people are afraid? We, I was trained by my mother and father not to talk to certain people and to take care. I, I have endless conversations with my wife and my daughters. I raised four kids. I worried about them every day. And I know that you do as well. So in this environment, we are to evangelize, folks. And I tell you what, I may be wrong. And if I am wrong, then I expect someone to walk up to me and tell me that I'm wrong. But what in the earthly world can we do about what's going on in society from this building, from this pulpit, or from this work? And my answer to you is not much. That's why, as I see Alex and Neil partner, Alex, you know, producing, Neil evangelizing, teaching, when I see their partnership online, I know that's the way to go, and it does not take much imagination for me to think that there might be an individual out there who might hear Neil's voice and say, I want to meet him. Stranger things have happened. That is why, or for a million other reasons, including someone just driving by the front of this place and deciding to pull in, that we need to be here and support it. But the online ministry, if we're going to do anything in here with our focus, in my opinion, and I'll, I'll, this is a chapter from the next business meeting, but I say that we expand our online presence. I say we put this message out onto a more popular social, social media platform or someplace else where there's more people to hear it. That's our charge, folks, because it needs to be heard. It's solid gold. It's the most valuable thing that we can teach, period. It'd be my prayer that we move forward in this way with enthusiasm and power and conviction and unity. Amen.
Well, good morning. We welcome everyone to the lesson this morning, which is uh, Romans chapter 16. It's um, actually the number uh, number 31st, 30, uh, 31 lessons so far. This will be the last one in this in this epistle, the Roman epistle, of which you could do another 31 uh, on top of it and cover. Uh, even probably uh, many things that were not emphasized. There's a few things I want to emphasize in this, even though this is basically just a um, uh, a conversation between the apostle and and those receiving this letter, naming um, a number of people that he wants to call out name by name. <clears throat> And, uh, and thank and show the, uh, uh, how he feels about them. So, uh, but there's some other things here I want to point out because um, I think they're important. These are his closing words, if you will. And it's a, as I read it and read it a, a number of times, it's a wonderful testimony about the many brethren that the apostle knew quite well and their work for the kingdom. And in this list, uh, as we find out, um, most of these folks in this list are nowhere else named in the scripture. But that would be, be kind of normal, wouldn't it, with the various places? I mean, you're not going to name everyone every time. We have no idea the size of these groups um, and that sort of thing. So we're we're dealing with um, with this sort of thing, um, and and I think it it also makes it interesting. Also, also he's going to remind them of the nearness of the Lord, um, and and also the prophecies that have been made and are being fulfilled within their own time, if they look and, and notice. Um, the, the nearness of the, of the end of the covenant, and of the parousias, as we call it, because that's the Greek word for the event that was coming, the closing of the first covenant, and the uh, full-grown deliverance of the new covenant in Christ, it was at hand, and he wanted to remind them of that. And they were in this period of time uh, that, the, uh, that God had granted the Jewish people to come to the recognition of Jesus of Nazareth as being their Messiah, and to listen to him, listen to the apostles, the, uh, the representatives of the Lord uh, at, in those days, in those years, about 39 years, 40 years, a generation almost, you'd say. I think it's very interesting. These are the, the writings of the New Testament, and they all fall within that particular time frame. And the first section, just the first five verses, are going to be talking about workers that have a special, a special notation uh, to, their, uh, to their work. And things, and it brings up uh, to us uh, 
some interesting comments. I want to share them with you just now. First five verses of chapter 16. But I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a, a servant of the assembly, which is in uh, Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord, worthy of the saints, and that you may assist her in whatever matters she has need of you. For also she has also been a helper of many and of myself. Salute uh, Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow work, workmen in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who for my life's sake, uh, their own necks, uh, they, they stake their own necks for his life, to whom not I only am thankful, but also all the assemblies of the nations and the assembly at their house. All right, so we see, we see Phoebe, and then we see Priscilla and Aquila here being called out and, and given some uh, more information. And this, uh, this woman, uh, Phoebe, was, um, is an interesting character uh, within the, the, uh, the, the, the church. Uh, so many things have been said about it. Um, it depends on what version of the Bible you have. Uh, my, uh, my version calls her here a minister, um, which would give a wrong connotation today. Uh, but it, it's, the word is, uh, uh, is for deacon, which is servant. But she would have been, uh, a, some versions have deaconess. You have men deacons and women deaconess. And really deacons and, and deaconess are people of the church that are called out for a particular task within the body. Uh, that's, that's what that means. Um, but you can imagine how these things can grow into issues uh, within the church. Though, so there's a lot of terminology in these verses that need to be looked at uh, about these brethren. So Phoebe, who is called our servant, our, our sister, and that's that's the first point. Our sister in the Lord is a servant of the assembly, and a the, the Greek word is prostatus, and the Greek the, and that would be the word for helper. Um, but the meaning of that word is she was a patroness. You've heard of patrons? They're, uh, they're people that uh, supply the needs of someone for certain tasks. She was a patroness, according to the Greek. A helper of, of the, 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 the lower people. Uh, she was apparently a... Um, uh, a widow, that's why she could travel by herself, uh, an older woman, a widow. And she was a patroness of the congregation there. And that city she lived in was actually the seaport city of Corinth. Um, Corinth was a little further inland, but this, this was a continuation. This was the 
seaport area there for uh, that, that district, if you will. Also, uh, in the Greek, it means a defender. Um, and, and we find that uh, the idea of defender or protector of the saints and the work of the church and, of course, the work of the, uh, of, of the gospel, that was her task that, that she had taken on and had done many things within the, the churches that uh, we're not aware of, of course, uh, many of those folks probably were aware of, of her, even though uh, she was in, the, in, in Greece and they were in Rome, but many of them were aware of her. Now, <clears throat> I think that the next one, um, it, it bring, before I say anything more, I, I want to explain what I, I, when we look at this, I see a real need for us to to be really thankful for the Christians everywhere that are putting forth a great effort for the Lord, wherever they are, uh, wherever they're, they're living, uh, and whoever they are within the Lord's church. The things you do, and, and it should be appreciated by everyone within the body of Christ, and they are. It's just that we really never hear about it very much, okay? Um, we, we probably should have uh, be able to hear more that we need to do or in, in way of communication and we get some communication um, but we probably should be a little more vocal in, in this because it means something here's, here's another issue I want to point out to you that I think is very interesting and we have some issues in our Bible translations as I bring up whenever I find them, when I know they're there, that says something. I was reading a comment, uh, something about this um, years ago, about the word, uh, the phrase that we find in the Bible a number of times, four or five times, Priscilla and Aquila. And the the... the Paul speaks of these two, the couple, husband and wife, uh, wife and husband as far as Priscilla and Aquila goes. And in three times, I believe it's three times, Priscilla is, her name is listed first and then Aquila, her husband. But I believe in all three cases of that, the reason it is given like that is a matter of uh, a proper conversation of representing the the, uh, the the woman and then the man. There is many of our translations that even on this fourth instance that I'm going to take you to here, some some uh, translations will have the same terminology, Priscilla and Aquila, but. And there is one passage within, uh, uh, we're going to look at Acts 18, verse uh, 24 through 26. And here, it wasn't just a reference to calling out their name or, or that where they were living here or they were doing this. But this was an issue where something had happened and they were going to speak. Uh, they were listening to Apollo speak 
And it became aware to them that as he was speaking, the only baptism that he was aware of was the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance that, that the Jews were, were doing before the cross, before Christ was crucified, before the, the, uh, the resurrection and all. That's all that he knew, but he was speaking eloquently concerning the Messiah and Jesus as he believed him to be. But here in Acts 18, 24 through 26, let's see what we say here. 24. Okay, but a certain Jew, Apollos by name, an Alexandrian by race, an eloquent man who was mighty in the scriptures, arrived at Ephesus. So he came into town and he was speaking. He was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in his spirit, he spoke and taught exactly the things concerning Jesus, knowing only the baptism of John. Now, friends, that's a problem. That's a problem in, in, in delivering the gospel, because the baptism of John was for the Jewish people unto, uh, for repentance unto Salvation, in other words, towards their 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 baptism unto repentance, was pointing them towards salvation. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and Aquila and Priscilla. You notice that the man's name is listed first here. Aquila was given first, and then Priscilla. Why? Here's why. Having heard him, took him to them and unfolded to him the way of God more exactly. And I imagine that Apollos was very, very thankful to them, for they had been taught by the apostle, the apostle Paul, as a matter of fact, and they understood these things, whereas he had not as yet. And yet he was convinced of the Messiah Jesus even though he didn't understand this at all. Now, I think that's incredible in itself. But here's what happens, friends. Some of our so-called study Bibles, and, and there is a study Bible out there. I forget which one it is that I have, but Many years ago, I was reading this, this section of Scripture in Acts chapter 18. And as it went through there, it listed Priscilla and Aquila instead of Aquila and Priscilla. And then it had a little footnote mark. I went down below, and you know what I read? It read, this is the passage that we use when we are defending the, uh, the concept of women becoming ministers, and leaders of the congregation. Well, you can see their point if that's the way the Bible was written. What, how far off do you have to be to not be able to go to the Greek and find... Now, this is a, this is a J.N. Darby translation, I believe. He translated it right. You know Why? because he went to the Greek and he listed the names as they're given in the Greek. Now, the other three times 
that Aquila and Priscilla are talked about, uh, it's Priscilla and Aquila. As I said, it was, it's what we call uh, proper conversation, Le- putting the, the lady's name before the man in respect for, for the, the lady in this case, in, in a way of, of speaking of the couple. But here, it was made clear. And why? Because God's word is perfect and it's delivered, as it's delivered. It put Aquila responsible for the work that they did for Apollos. Now, I'm thinking, because they both went, and and, and they both sat down with him, and I'm sure Aquila was telling him about what the apostles were teaching concerning baptism and all, but Priscilla would have been there to say, in a way of confirmation, now I'm just assuming this, she would, he could have looked at her and said, I didn't know. And he said, that's the teaching. And now you have two people confirming these things. So it isn't that her word is useless. No, her word was in confirmation of what has been taught by the apostles. And that's a good thing. Why are these things important? Because you see, if it is as the commentary in that Bible had, then all the other teachings of the apostles concerning men and women are just out the window. That's why this is important. And I'm glad that the Darby has it. I, I don't know how many others have it right. Uh, I'm sure there are uh, a number. But, I'm, but I didn't uh, stop to look at them all. Now, I don't know. If, I don't think it's just sloppiness. I think it was the mistranslation was was mistranslated on purpose. And it, it it does harm to our our Christian uh sisters in the Lord to have a confusing statement such as that written at the bottom of the page in their Bible and in, the, in their study Bible and I'm offended by it. But these are the things that we must overcome. Uh, it's just an issue that I wanted to bring up and, and make clear. The scriptures, the, the passages are as they are delivered. Not only are they, you know, the word perfect has about three different meanings. It can be mature, complete, um, and one other thing, uh, full, a fullness of uh, but they are, they are the essence of perfection. Everything that needs to be there is there, and nothing that shouldn't be there is, is in there. You know, when we write things, uh, books of theology, you'll find if you could eliminate all of the extra words that shouldn't even be there, that book would be about two-thirds thinner than it was. All of the verbiage, as we call it. Um, I know I, I've read letters from, from folks um, studying uh, the lessons at the CEF that had, they had one question and three pages of, of handwritten to go everywhere else around it to try to ask a certain question. That, that's verbiage. But that's how, how some people express themselves. That's not how the Bible expresses itself. 
I believe that this is an important thing and an understanding of Priscilla and Aquila, um, the, the couple that had a lot to do with the work of the Apostle Paul. Uh, they were also his converts, um, and they did a lot of work within the church, both in Rome and in, um, in uh, Ephesus and other places. They traveled with him occasionally, as, um, as, as we find <clears throat> in Acts. Um, the last part of Acts, you'll find that they travel with him there. And they were Jewish people uh, that became Christians. Now, the next section here. Uh, Paul names 35 souls to be saluted. I like that word. Um, and it's, it's given in this, in this translation and many others um, <coughs> that I think is interesting. I'm not going to read, read all of these, but I'm going to point you out to the to these verses. As it goes through all of here, and I think it's interesting that most of these folks, if you'll read through it from verse 5, or verse 6 actually, um, you'll find that um, most of these people you have not heard of. Um, and I was trying to find the one that I that I had heard. Okay. And and you'll also notice some of these are families, family members. But after he goes through them all, takes takes us right up to verse 16, uh, where we'll look at the rest of this chapter. Most of these brethren... um, were all people that worked, were doing things that had actually affected the, not only the work of the, the church there, but also Paul himself. Um, some were Jews, some were, were um, Gentiles. And I think that's interesting too. And the only way we can tell that is by their names. Um, if they're more the, the Greek name than the, uh, the uh, Greek uh, Hebrew name. That's about all we can tell. But it ends in verse 16. It begins with this. Salute one another with a holy kiss. All of the assemblies of Christ salute you. So that's the final salutation to these these 35 different people, if you will, um, and, a, and all the proclamations made about them. And... I think it's interesting to sit down and just read what he says about these people. It would take us an hour to do that. Um, But they were known to the other apostles also. um, And they were called beloved time and time again. Uh, I think it's just so interesting. But the salute, the idea of salute them. In other words, pay them a special regard, if you will for the work they have done. And this is, this is a great way to do it. As I said, we probably don't do this to, to our brethren as much as we should. Um, it's more than just saying thank you. It, it's a special thing. So 
look at that and uh, you get some quiet time to read it and see how the terminology looks to you. And that's all, all of these verses from verse 6 through 15. But in verse 16, the final salutation, if you will, and it really, literally, it says, all the assemblies of Christ salute you. Now, what's he saying? The apostle says, all of the assemblies of Christ, wherever they may be, in, in, in uh, Greece or Acacia or, you know, uh, Asia Minor, Galatia area or in Palestine, all of them salute you. What would it feel like to receive a letter like that as a congregation? That all the other groups salute you in your work for the Lord. That's what's being said here. Because that was their attitude back and forth. And, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to find a congregation to salute because we don't know what they're doing. Uh, Or... Uh, for whatever reason. So we're not living in that that kind of an atmosphere, are we? And I like the word assemblies because I like the word assemblies used in place of church, the word church. Because church is way too general. Uh, The church, you, you can call the Moose Lodge a church, if you will. Because they're called out to do whatever it is the uh, royal order of Moose as they call it, do. They have a purpose, and believe me, unfortunately, it is a church to some of them. But nonetheless, the assemblies of Christ are very specific, and I like it. I like the, uh, I like the tone there. But what joy it is to hear that said to the people in Rome. It also says here, uh, let us read the passage, and then we'll, we'll uh, finish up. Salute one another with a holy kiss. All the assemblies of Christ salute you. But I beseech you, brethren, to consider those who create divisions and occasions of failing or falling, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and turn away from them. You see, those are things, false teachers in the church, don't listen to them anymore. Just because they're there, just turn away from their teaching. They need to do that. And, of course, false teachers cause division, and and that's something that needs to be avoided. Now, if anyone's going to depart from the assembly, it should be the false teacher, not the false teacher along with a few other followers. That is a horrible thing if you think about it. For such serve not our Lord Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For your obedience has reached to all. Now we're back to the the salutation. I rejoice, therefore, as it regards you, but I wish you to be wise to to that which is good, and simple as to evil. Isn't that good? Those are good comments for the Christian person. To be wise 
do that which is good and simple or uninformed, that is, do the evil that is amongst the world, adds their attitude. Verse 20, listen closely to this verse for it speaks volumes about the great truth that was known to them that has been forgotten now. But the God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We'll come back to that verse. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sopater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Theretus, who have written this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and of the whole assembly, salutes you. Eratus, the steward of the city, salutes you, and the brother of Quartus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then in the postscript almost, he says, Now to him that is able to establish you according to my glad tidings, that is the gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery as to which silence has been kept in the times of the ages, but which has now been made manifest, and by prophetic scriptures according to the commandment of the eternal God made known for obedience of faith to all the nations, the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So writes the Apostle. Back to verse 20 before we close. For the God of peace shall, my Bible says bruise. And then in a little footnote, it goes down here. Makes reference to the the Greek word that is actually crushing. So why use bruise if the word is crushing (laughs) or crush? Is bruise and crush the same to you? I've experienced both. Uh, They're not the same. No, they're not. And it sends uh, uh, the message is is clear. Shatter. That's the Greek word. Alex has got it up there for us. Crush, to break. It, It in, in reference to the word, the, the definition of the word is to break the strength and the power of. Where have you heard that before, friends? To break the strength and power of. Isn't that just what... The, now, this is the Apostle Paul saying this. Is that said anywhere else in the Scripture? Who are we talking about this crushed here? Satan, Right? It's Satan. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. 1 John 2.18. Little children, it is the last hour. And according, you have heard that the Antichrist comes. Even now there have been many Antichrists, whence we know that it is the last hour. Now, um, That was the verse I wanted read, although I wanted the one um, 
that talks about the um, the works of Satan being destroyed. I think it's uh, chapter three, verse uh, verse eight. Yeah. Speaking of what Jesus did according to the works of Satan. He that practices sin is of the devil. For from the beginning the devil sins. To this end, the Son of God has been manifested. That is, when, when the Son of God was seen and his work was done, what was, the, what was accomplished? That he might undo the works of the devil. That's the crushing, if you will. That's the the breaking the strength and the power of what did Jesus say about the devil? The devil held the the first covenant people in fear of their lives. Because of that was just one of the manifestations of of the power of Satan in the in the in the time of the first covenant people. Friends, we don't live under that that situation anymore. Flip Wilson was wrong. The devil didn't make him do it. He did it himself. Okay? That's a, one of our issues. So, that, that word is crush. We, we need to understand it, that it means to crush and to do away with the, the works of Satan. The other word here is so important to us is the word Soon, or shortly. The word shortly in the Greek means promptly or swift of a short duration. Now, how short was the duration here? He said that the God of peace would crush Satan under whose feet? Your feet. Your feet. That is, the assemblies of Christ, right? Oh, yes. And that's, that's the beauty of it. And the word is shortly, friends. And it means of short duration. What was the duration here? Uh, this writing, as far as we know, was written between about, around, from 58 A.D., maybe close to 60 A.D., the letter to, to uh, Rome. When, when 1 John was written, talking about it is the last hour, the end, A.D. 61 to 62. You see that a short duration isn't, doesn't mean five minutes. Uh, it, it, could have, it, it could mean a, a number of years. And we believe that the Prusia probably occurred... Um, Somewhere around uh, 60, um, between 66 and 70 in that time frame is when, when the, uh, the, without observation, these things occurred as far as the end of the covenant and the departing, as God departed the, the, the temple and departed, the Jewish people, the physical uh, system of Judah and Jerusalem was done away with as it, it, as it was dissolved and replaced by the kingdom of Christ. So we, we see the shortness of this time period 
this is what we're talking about. So we have a lot of, uh, uh, not only is that a new thought, but down below there in the last few verses, he talks about the, the prophecy of Scripture becoming real in their own life through the obedience of faith. And the gospel is preached. The Messiah has come. And now these prophecies are all rushing to conclusion that we find in the, in the, the major and minor prophets, as they're called, of the Old Testament. So I think it's, it's important, as I wrote at the bottom of this lesson, we must remember the struggles of the first century assemblies of Christ that we may be found faithful in our own time for the work that has been given to us through the proclamation of the gospel and the continuation of And I believe it continues in this world until, well, we have no date. There is no conclusion. We know the kingdom of God is the kingdom without end. It has no end. The work that we do in this life is, of course, temporary to our own time, and others will go from there. So, Let us conclude this with that. And we pray these things have been helpful to you and informative as we we carry on with our song of invitation here today. God be with you till we meet again is a good concept here.